Hello and welcome to this week's edition of the Politically Speaking Podcast. I'm your host, Chris McDaniel, a reporter with St. Louis Public Radio. Joining me in studio is... Jason Rosenbaum. And... Joe Manis. And our special guest this week... Deb Lavender. So you are one of the few Democrats who came out ahead in the November general election. Um, Why don't we have you telling us what district you ran in? Sure. I ran in uh, District 90. Is mostly Kirkwood, but we have Warson Woods, Glendale... Oakland, and a sliver of Webster and a sliver of Sunset Hills. Mm, Sunset Hills. Home of Fuddruckers, by the way. Right. Home. (laughs) Now, Deb Lavender will replace Rick Stream in the Missouri House. You are the only Democrat in the state of a House candidate who has taken over a seat that was represented by a Republican. I believe that's the case, yes. Yes. And uh, you and Jill Shoup are the – because Jill Shoup was on the Senate side who did that, but – so you two are both extremely notable. We were joking about that on the air, off the air. But also, you're unusual in that you ran four straight times before you won. And these great minds around this table uh, calculate that we think you're the only one that we can recall in recent memory who has done that, running four straight elections, losing three, and then finally win one. So, so. So either very dedicated or perhaps a little silly as well. Um, I ran for the first time in 2008, and I had just started realizing I wanted to run for office about 10 years ago. And so 2008 was the first opportunity. Uh, Jane Baghetto had won a special election and then lost lost to Rick Stream yeah, she in was a Democrat. 06. Yeah. She held that seat for one year. And so then it was open and an opportunity for me to jump in in 08. And I had not ventured into politics until that time. And so we did get 46 47% of the vote in 08, which we thought was extraordinary for a first-time candidate running. And so then it seems silly to sit down in 10 if you run one time and people just get to know you. And then, of course, you'll all know that 10 was also a year where Republicans swept across the state. What was your percentage in 2010? In 2010, I got less. I got 44 percent. Okay. And then after 2010, the district changed. Exactly. was redrawn. And I guess I want to back up a little bit here because we were talking about this before the show. Rick Stream was, I guess, the incoming budget chair. And there is kind of this, Mm -hmm. you know, sense in Missouri politics that you don't give a lot of money to the opponent of somebody who's in a powerful leadership position like that. So your race was not what I would consider a slated, targeted Democratic race on the top tier. Apparently, it was the second tier. Right. And what was the result of that? Well, in 12, we did very well, and it was redistricted, and that's why we thought we should go again. And I can be, be uh, now, to 1%. Yeah, it was a very two, close race. Yeah, yeah in 266, 2012. Yeah, in 2012, I lost by 266 votes. And I think that was kind of a sign to the Democratic establishment that in 14, they better pay attention to the seat because it could be taken over when stream was term limited. Right, right. And uh, so tell me about this campaign in 14. Well, in 14, you know, when we lost in 12, so speaking to why would I run four times, there didn't seem to be the right time to sit down. It felt that we had come 75% of the way. Then we had an open seat. We had lost by 1%. So it just seemed to be a natural decision to run for a fourth time. There was no one in my district or across the state that told me to stop. Anybody I saw throughout that entire year and a half, people said, please run again. You came so close. So now we have an open seat. It felt just a given that we should try for it again. 
Uh, we started early. We started in July of 13, and we started with fundraising events. I had a wonderful opportunity. Uh, Clint Swifel did my first event for me. Um, our attorney general did two events. Our senator did an event for me. And Claire our McCaskill. Secretary, yeah. Yes, Senator McCaskill did an event in June. And then our Secretary of State, Jason Kander, did an event. So it was very helpful from a fundraising point of view. We actually had an event a quarter, which we were able to aim at. And uh, just the generosity of tremendous amount of people, we were able to do very well with the fundraising. Now, now, can you explain a little bit about your background before you got into politics? Sure. I mean, and how you how people in Kirkwood either know you or don't know you. Sure. Um, I have... Uh, I grew up in Connecticut. I went to school in Milwaukee to Marquette University. I am a physical therapist and have had a outpatient practice now for 10 years in the uh, De Pere Kirkwood area. And I, uh, Kirkwood Rotarian, I belong to the Kirkwood Area Chamber of Commerce. I'm on the board of a small nursing home, Mary Culver Home, and have just as a hobby, I volunteer. And so I enjoy volunteering, whether it's food drives or um, plantings or different activities around the area. I've just always enjoyed volunteering. So I think a lot of people know me through that, as well as the other civic areas that I'm involved in. And your clients. <laughs> and my clients, yes. Yeah. Yes, we uh, got together last night and people were saying, oh, they'd go up to a house and the person would say, oh, I'm a patient of Deb, so of course I'm going to vote for her. Yeah. So that has certainly gotten us into the community in a different way than maybe others. So the 14 was probably a different race than you were used to because it was a targeted race. As yes. you just mentioned, all yes. these people had come out yes. to, to fundraise. And conversely, the Republicans were trying like mad to try and keep the seat. Now, yes. what was the name of your the candidate that ran against you? I, I know Gina who it is. Jacobin. I cannot Jack pronounce Setic. her. Yeah, Jack Setic. She's yeah. a Kirkwood City Councilwoman. I actually right. just cannot pronounce yeah. her name, which is why I asked. And that race got pretty heated. There were actually television ads run against right. you. Right. I'm sure there were thousands of mailers being flung at people. Right. What was it kind of like to go from a situation where you weren't running in a targeted race but came very close to running in a targeted race where you, not only did you have a getting this help, but you were also just being inundated with Republican criticism? On, on TV. You were the right. subject of attack <laughs> right. at. Right. Well, in 12, we actually think we're doing so well that in the last week of the race in 12, I got hit pretty hard with negative mail pieces. We went on TV in 12 as well, and there was a negative ad against me then. Uh, the interesting thing is I don't subscribe to cable, so I didn't get to see any of the commercials <laughs> against me. And I never managed to listen to the radios where the commercials were on yeah. uh, radio. A lot of them were very either. similar, like yes. especially the Republican oh, yeah. ones. It was basically like candidate X raised taxes yes. or wanted to raise taxes. Or she's a liberal. Right. Yeah. Well, there were some robocalls the last week that uh, warned people of an emergency in Kirkwood and and then the punchline was Deb Lavender is a liberal and we need to organize against her. Yeah. So it was very interesting. I'm sorry for the people in the district. Uh, robocalls, push polls, um, uh, people were called 20 and 30 times in a four-hour time period. And when they finally answered, exasperated, they were told they were talking to somebody from my campaign. And they were doing this in the middle of the night, correct? You know, fortunately, no. I don't think it happened okay. in the middle of the night. Okay, because I had heard morning, from some people who said they got them well, like at 4 a.m. and stuff. I, I would not doubt that. Um, it, it, I know Sunday morning they were hassling people. I'm just sorry for the people of the district that, that those tactics are used. And then we wonder why people get 
disappointed with elections and politics. Well, I, I, I kind of asked this to, to now Senator-elect Shoup several times, but you know, sometimes Republicans castigate opponents as mm-hmm. liberal or mm-hmm. left of center, which I thought probably didn't actually hurt Shoup and her race because there mm-hmm. are large pockets of what I would consider liberal to moderate voters mm-hmm. in her district. So hence the reason she did an ad where she was kind of talking about how she, how she supports abortion rights mm-hmm. and actually attacking Ashcroft with. Mm-hmm. Was it a similar situation like when maybe you were being attacked as a quote-unquote liberal and it's actually helping you because there were pockets of people that may be more liberal than most voters, I don't. I don't think they hurt. Um, I think the interesting thing was on the radio, um, they billed me as against small businesses. And I had a couple patients come in and, and laugh with me and said, Deb, you own a small business. How are you going to be against small businesses? So I think their cookie cutter approach may not have worked for them in this case. A lot of people know me. They know who I am. They know that I am fiscally conservative and have an interest in being able to save money where we can and then spend it where we need to. Um, In comparison with Jill, I think the women's issues are very important. And I think people realize that whether you're liberal or progressive or conservative, I think women are realizing that we are losing a lot of what we've spent 100 years gaining and that that resonated with our voters. And so for the Republicans to come out and use that almost against us, I think might have hurt them and actually helped our cause. Because St. Louis County, I think, was a a lone bright spot for the Democrats. Mm -hmm. Not only did Steve Stanger narrowly win his race, which was a big deal, but you had situations like Jill Shoup winning her very contested Mm -hmm. Senate race, you winning Bill Otto, who has a St. Charles, St. Louis County race, and also Tracy McCreary won a pretty close race. Obviously, Vicki England lost her race. Mm -hmm. In South County. In South County. But it just seemed like that group of people that won were people that weren't like shying away from the fact that they were Democrats or the fact that they held Democratic beliefs, whereas in other parts of the state where maybe people genuinely had more conservative views, Mm -hmm. they were emphasizing that more than the fact that they had Democratic views. Did you notice that at all, or was that is that an overgeneralization? No, I have noticed it. I also know that we worked very hard. And as you know, I've worked for eight years almost yeah. in the district. So we've worked hard. Jill Shoup is a person who has worked hard over her years, from school board to state rep to now for her election for Senate. Uh, Tracy has worked hard. Bill has been out in his community. So I think there's something also to say for the amount of time that we've spent in our district, knocking on doors, being involved in what's going on in the communities. And I think that has to say a lot about it as well. I mean, so nationally even, I mean, I think Mm -hmm. Jason's hit on something. Many of the Democrats who lost were Democrats who were like either running away from the president or running away from Mm -hmm. what the party stood for. And I wondered if that didn't hurt them as opposed to saying, look, I may disagree with them on some things, but I agree with them on the minimum wage, yada, yada, yada. I mean, you are you fit the mold yeah. of what people would call a, a progressive, yep. an unapologetic right. progressive. Yeah. So you want to talk about well, a little bit about your views, but also sure. about how you're going to be able to advance them yeah. in such a small minority in the yeah. House. Well, you're right. We also ran on Medicaid expansion. And we ran on Medicaid expansion that it will bring jobs to our state. These are federal tax dollars that we've already paid to D.C. And for us to not ask to bring them back home, that's going to create jobs as well as offer people the opportunity for insurance. So to then fold into what you said, what happens in the House, 
Well, I think we're in a challenging position. I think it will be uh, interesting to see what we are able to do. Um, I've gotten a good couple of pieces of advice so far. It's read the bills, understand the process, and work in committee. And I believe that's where the true work is going to get done. And I will be just learning the process. And so I'll sit back and listen and watch and, and see how I might be able to absorb what's going on and how I might be able to interject some um, something into the process that will make a difference for the people in my district and the people in the so, state. So personally, what, what is your top issue? Is it Medicaid expansion or is it, is it a different issue that you're hoping to get accomplished? Personally, I'm, there are so many different issues, so I don't know if I can clarify one is the top issue. I think education is very important right now. I think we need to look at our struggling districts and see what's going on and how the state is not fully funding those areas. Of course, I'd love to be behind Medicaid expansion and, again, how we bring those dollars back to our state, how we expand the opportunity for people to be covered with health insurance. I'd like to see if there's not some way we can do some type of ethics reform whether it's limit the number of donations that candidates can get, the amount, limits the gifts. We, we all know we're in a state where there's unlimited potential for gifts. Uh, my first concern is a freshman. I get to go on a freshman tour, and already the meals provided on the freshman tour are paid for by lobbyists. I asked, is at least lodging covered by the state? And I was told yes most of the time that in our past freshman tours, lobbyists have paid for lodging. And so as a freshman, it occurs to me that the state, in asking me to go on a freshman tour, which is a tremendous opportunity, should be paid for by the state, and that we don't allow lobbyists to influence us from the first minute we start our, our service. How long does the freshman tour last? This year, they've got two and a half weeks. We've got three. Wow. Yes. Yes, it's a great opportunity. So you go all over the state. Yes, and different opportunities to stop at facilities and places across the state and see what's happening around the state. It's the last three days of the first week and then the next two solid weeks. How many Democrats are going to be on the freshman tour? There will be five of us. <laughs> so who are they? Out of how many? <laughs> I, I'm, I haven't counted that yet, Joe. I, it seems as if there are perhaps 40 Republican <laughs> um, freshmen as well. Uh, Tracy McCreary, Joe Adams. Alan Green is considered a freshman, even though he won in enough time to serve in the veto and session. And Kip, Kip Kendrick, who's Kip replacing Kendrick. Chris Kelly. Yes. So, yes, and Lauren, and Lauren is from Kansas City. Uh, Lauren Arthur, yes. Yes, Lauren Arthur. So, but a lot of Republicans, so you'll probably get yes. to know your Republican yes. newbies as well. Well, and that's good. Yeah. That's a good thing well, to so do. You, so have they told you, like, when it's going to start? And also, have you talked to Speaker-elect John Deal yet? Who, who lives around here? You know, I have not had the opportunity to speak with him yet. So do you know what committees you're going to ask to be on? No. Uh, well, yes. Um, would like to be on economic development. I have an interest in the budget. Uh, small business, I know, is, is part of it. And I truly have an interest in agriculture. Right. And uh, when I mentioned that to the minority leaders' uh, staff, they were quite excited that somebody from St. Louis might well, want to be on ag. That's the thing, because was, that was going to kind of parlay in my next question. With the exception of, of Ben Harris and Charlie mm -hmm. Knorr, um, there really aren't any a rural Democrats left in the House. Not many conservative Democrats mm -hmm. left in the House. I wouldn't even consider Charlie Knorr a conservative Democrat. He's mm -hmm. a Springfield Democrat. Ben Harris may be literally the only conservative Democrat left. The rest of the Democrats are kind of like cloistered on this I seventy corridor. A lot of in St. Louis, mm -hmm. a lot in Kansas City, and two in the Columbia area. Does that kind of have an impact on kind of what the message? Of, of the House caucus is going to be since it's so 
kind of centralized in those locations and doesn't bring those other perspectives that were there before, say, from northeast Missouri or southeast Missouri or anything like that? You know, a good question. I don't know the answer. Um, I do think it gives us the opportunity to uh, start exploring the rest of the state. And I think the agriculture area, uh, good friends in the Boot Hill, Barry and Joel Acock, uh, grow cotton, have been in their cotton gin. So I think it gives us the opportunity to reach out and create those relationships with other people in the state. Those are large areas of our state. They're very important to the economics of our state. And I think it's important for us to reach beyond perhaps maybe just what happens along the corridor to really be involved in what else is happening in our state. Now, um, have you talked to the governor's office? Are there any things in particular uh, that you hope to push for that you're going to have to talk to the administration about or um, have any sort of sense of where you're going to fit in? You know, I'm going to have to tell you, no, not yet. I don't know where I'll fit in. Um, would like to see what we can do with small businesses, making it easier for um, businesses to file. I have had the opportunity to be in some conversation with the Secretary of State's office and how they might be able to reorganize the fees that uh, businesses pay. So looking forward to working with them. I always have a unique interest in, and I'll bring it up, in, in what's going on in Ferguson. Yeah. And what we might be able to do from a legislative point of view, being able to work with the Black Caucus, uh, what can we do from a legislative point of view to resolve some of the issues that are longstanding in our state? And how can we take a tragic incident and be able to move us forward? That was going to be my next question. We've had a lot of guests since August 9th from all over the state, not just from the St. Louis area. We always want to ask what they feel needs to be done legislatively. Because this seems to be a situation where... It's not necessarily partisan. It seems Mm -hmm. like there are Republicans that want to make changes. For example, we had Eric Schmidt on. He's talking about municipal courts. Caleb Jones was talking about Mm -hmm. municipal courts. What would you like to see from a legislative standpoint that comes out of the legislature next year in response to Ferguson? Well, I think looking at the municipal courts and how intrusive it is in people's businesses, is there a way for us to create legislation that if you have a broken taillight, you get one ticket? for a four-month time period, a six-month time period that gives you the opportunity to correct and solve and and not being able to have 16 tickets for the same infraction just because you drive down Natural Bridge. So those are issues that I think we can, from a legislative point of view, look at. Of course, looking at the municipal courts. Uh, I know the Black Caucus came out with something today asking for I think public service in lieu of fines. I think that was for, yesterday. Yes, for yes. being uh, arrested as protesters. I, I think there's lots of those type of things that we can look at to be able to resolve what's going on. Racial profiling. Uh, I believe what I understand the AG's uh, office keeps track of that, and we do know that our African Americans are pulled over at a higher rate than uh, white people are. So how do we truly address that? What do what needs to be done from a legislative and point of that's view? That's not just an issue. That, I mean, a lot of people have focused on the North County area, but right. when you look at that report, one of the biggest municipalities that's that's kind of highlighted is Ladue, mm-hmm. and actually, the Central West County areas where purportedly a lot of racial profiling mm-hmm. goes on. But it does seem to be an issue in your neck of the woods and not just North County. Is that kind of your sense as well? Oh, I think so. I I don't think this is just a North County issue. It is a Missouri issue. And, uh, you know, Ferguson has become the calling word for 
racial issues and what do we do and how do we resolve them. We know they've been in this nation for a long time, and I think this gives us the opportunity to address them, come full forward with it, and what can be be done to address those issues. There's been some members of your party who have not been particularly happy with the governor's reaction to that, especially in the African-American community. I don't know if you've been kind of paying attention that much to his performance. Do you think he could have handled this situation better, or do you think that anybody would have kind of had a hard time with this? I think Monday morning quarterbacking is very easy to do. Hindsight is always twenty twenty. I think all of the people involved have done the best that they've been able to do. Could we go back and do something different? Absolutely. Um, and people need to find the right place and the right words. I think everybody's intent is good, and now we just need to corral it into a way that makes a true difference for us. Now, will you be involved? I mean, as far as you mentioned business stuff, you know, there's still stuff that may be going on regarding like stadiums or the Rams. There may be an effort to try to get the state to do something, uh, try to entice the Rams to stay. Is there anything you would support or not? You know, those are issues that I haven't looked at enough to know. Um, I'm concerned about tax base and and the people of our state, what is needed for our poverty issues, our education issue, our hunger issues. So there's so many issues that also need to be looked at, involved with, whether or not we keep the Rams. Of course we want to keep them in town. Uh, we love having sports in this town. We're a great sports town. We're a great sports state now with the Chiefs doing well and the um, Blue Jays, no, Kansas City was Royals. in the World Series, Royals. the Royals. And so we want to keep sports here. They do a lot for our economy, and there are other issues that need to be balanced as well. Well, you mentioned – oh, were you going to say something? Yeah. Uh, you've you've talked a lot about being a small business owner and how you are interested in small business issues. I'm curious what you think the legislature – you know, specifically, what are your ideas for the legislature when it comes to small businesses? Well, I've heard for years how we have so many regulations that prevent small businesses from expanding – I'm actually going to go to my Chamber of Commerce and say, bring it on. What are the regulations that you feel are in the way of you being able to be successful and to expand your small business? And I'm happy to start digging into, I think I learned this morning, we have 26,500 individual statutes in the state, and which ones of those help prevent small businesses from being able to achieve what they're looking for? Yeah. Have any of those impacted you specifically as someone who owns a small you business? You know, I don't think so. Um, I I have a lot of regulations that I need to abide by for Medicaid, especially, mm -hmm. to make sure that I'm not fraudulent in my practice or in my billing processes. And yes, there are times that it seems like there's a lot of paperwork that seems to be redundant at times. I understand the need for some of the restrictions. We don't want fraudulent people billing Medicaid. And being able to look at what would hold people back, and is there a foundation, and is there something that can be altered through the statutes of the state? What I was going to say was, you know, throughout the campaign, I heard a lot of Republicans talk about, you know, cutting red tape or getting rid of regulations. I heard that in the county executive's race. Mm -hmm. I heard that with the, the Senate race between Shupin and, and mm -hmm. Jay Ashcroft. Do you really think that there is kind of a need to pare down regulations, or do you think it's just kind of something that gets said in the heat of a campaign that doesn't have necessarily a lot of teeth to it? I think it's often said, I don't know if in the heat of campaigns or as just the rhetoric, but I'm interested in looking. If it's rhetoric, then let's show that it's rhetoric. But if there are truly regulations that people feel are holding back their small businesses or businesses in the state, let's look at it. 
let's take a, an opportunity to see what the statue is, what indeed it was intended to do, and are there unintended consequences that maybe the statue needs to be reversed? I think you mentioned education throughout this mm-hmm. sprawling conversation, and that was an issue yeah. that your soon-to-be predecessor was involved in mm-hmm. pretty heavily. Um, he was the handler of the school transfer bill, which got vetoed and did not get overridden. Um, I think it's kind of unclear at this point whether that's going to be a focus this session because there was a lot of work last session and it didn't really amount to much in the end. What's kind of your take on that particular issue of school transfers? And do you think that, you know, there will be the momentum in the legislature to do something next year? Well, I hope there is. We haven't resolved the situation yet. We are still $500 million short of the formula for education in the state. Fully funding the formula. Right. And where we keep saying, oh, we've increased education spending this year, we've still never gotten to the fully funded education formula. And that has to be hurting our communities. I don't think it's a surprise that our poverty areas or higher poverty areas are the areas where our education is lacking from a point of, uh, from um, being able to have to transfer students. So the accreditation is missing in some of our areas. I think if we start focusing on education, I hope it's something we have to address this year again in that we've not yet come up with good solutions for the people. To close this out here, you can read all of our stories at stlpublicradio.org. You can follow me on Twitter at at CSMcDaniel. Jason, you can be followed on Twitter. Jay Rosenbaum. And Joe. At Jay Manis. That's J-M-A-N-N-I-E-S. And you can be followed on Twitter as well. At Deb Lavender. Very good. Well, we will be back next week. Until then, so long. So long.